Paraguay right now. Me and Ben Shurance and Jason Steidel. Ben Shurance is from the Worcester Church and Jason is from Vesper Lake. And together we kind of put together this presentation that you saw this morning and I wanted to um, show it once more just in case it went by too fast. So you could get a feel of what uh, we're all doing down there and how the ministry is working and um, we're focusing on kids mainly because of the schoolwork, but because of the school project, many people are coming into the, the church atmosphere, they're coming into our, our lives, and um, it's been a real blessing to see in six years, um, since 2003 when the church, when the school started, how many families and their, their relatives, their brothers and sisters or aunts and uncles are coming to the Lord because of one little student who started out in second grade or kindergarten or whatever. So our ministry is focused on the kids, but behind the kids, the parents are coming and the grandparents and others. So to start off, I wanted to just show the movie once more. And then I wanted to tell you some of the stories of those changed lives. In open fields of wildflowers She breathes the air and flies away She thanks to Jesus for the daisies and the roses no simple language Someday she'll understand The meaning of it all He's more than the laughter For the stars in the heaven As close as a heartbeat Or a song of her lips Someday she'll trust him And learn how to see him Someday he'll call her And she will come running And fall in his arms the tears will fall down children I want to fall in love with you I want to fall in love with you I want to fall in love with you I want to fall in love with you, with you.
recibido del, del colegio bendiciones eh, como las becas para mis hijos y también un trabajo que estoy realizando como limpiadora. Rise and follow me. Could never be the same After they heard him 
say I'll make you fishers of men. He said, Rise and follow me. I'll make you worthy. Rise and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He said, Rise and follow me. I'll make you worthy. Rise and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men.
So some people have been asking, well, how did we start out? What made us want to do the school project? And it was because I think in 2002, we were here as a family. And both Oscar and I felt we didn't have a real project to present. We were visiting with the neighbors, and we um, had friendship evangelism that we were working with. But we wanted something. Our dream was to have the church doors opened every day of the week. And um, my kids were going to a small Christian school down the road from our house. And the principal there told me once, I think every church should have a school there because the, the Paraguayan government supports that and it's kind of easy to get the paperwork. So that's just always stuck in my mind that we could have a school at our church and that, that way we could open up the doors um, five days a week and on weekends. And many times going through the cities, we would see the church doors shut, locked, sometimes with um, chains and um, candado? Oh, what? Padlock, yeah. And it's like sad. Where do you go when you have a problem? It, what happens if there's, if you're a young person and you're going to commit suicide and you go to a church and the door's locked? And where do you go? And, and so we just always, were, we were praying that our church could be opened. And, and that other idea from the other principal just kept coming back that we could have a school at, at our church's property. So we prayed about it, and Oscar always told me, we have to get 100% support from the church, from the members of the church, because when things go wrong, they could say, oh, this is your problem, it's your fault, you deal with it. But we wanted the whole church to be involved, and so we started asking around, and everybody seemed to want this project. And so as we were talking about it and praying about it, um, we decided we were going to have a meeting to uh, write it up in a document that everyone was for the school. And right at that point, we actually had, it was on a Tuesday night, and we had a meeting. Um, it was a group of 20, 25 people maybe. Our church wasn't big then. And during that meeting, something very, very strange happened. People started um, fighting. They started saying, you said this, you said that, he did this this won't work. It had nothing to do with the school project, but everyone was arguing. Everyone was bitter. And um, we left church that night, canceling everything. Um, we all left. We went home bitter, sad, um, angry. And we would, some of us would be calling back and forth and saying, um, what do you think about tonight's meeting? And it was like, it was terrible. Some people said to others, it felt like there was death. It felt like the church died. It felt like um, it was hopeless. And then the next day, we had some other meetings and other people calling here and there. And people started saying, well, why won't it work? And then they started giving their experiences 
of the night before. And we had, Wednesday night we have a prayer meeting. And so people came. We didn't even know how to even greet each other because of the arguments from the night before. But um, the pastor that was leading it asked for testimonies, asked, for, asked us to explain what happened last night or that Tuesday night. And people started talking and they started saying that they were bitter, they were um, angry at this brother or this sister, and they repented and they gave that up to the Lord. And they couldn't sleep all night. They were crying all night, um, giving all that up to God. And the night went on and on. And we would sing, and then we would, someone else would give their testimony. And then um, it was back and forth like that. By the time we realized it, it was 1130 at night. And we were still praising God. And it seemed like God just lifted all that bitterness and um, anger out of us. We had to vomit it all up the night before, and the whole church was uh, voted unanimously that we should start the school. And so that night um, we got home, and of course we were so excited, so happy. Everyone, after the Wednesday night meeting, we were hugging, we were kissing, we were so joyful, and I, I couldn't believe, even now I remember it, that Tuesday night, how terrible it was and how Satan was trying so hard to divide us and break us up because he knew that he knew the power of God and that God working in us would um, make us strong and, and build up what you see today. And so when I got home that night, I checked my email and my sister had written to me and said, um, today we deposited $2,000 for your school. And that was, to me, a miracle because why didn't that email come on Tuesday? Because she obviously knew about this since Sunday, since the Sunday school, right? And God planned even all that out just to give us new hope, and that just confirmed the Lord's will to us also because it couldn't have, that email couldn't have come on Tuesday because we weren't ready for that. We weren't ready to hear that. And on Wednesday, when the whole church was in agreement with the school project, then God gave us that added blessing and confirmation. And up until now, there's still a big group that meets on Sunday afternoons at 4.30. From 4.30 to 5.30, they pray specifically for the school for the kids coming to the school, for the teachers, um, the principal, for the construction, for everything. And we know that the church up, up till today, six years later, is 100% supporting the school work. And so we just praise the Lord that the neighborhood, the, the church, the neighborhood, has taken that as their responsibility and they're lifting up this project to the Lord. And if you have any questions while I'm talking, please raise your hand and we can make it a two-way presentation now. And if not, I can tell you some of the stories of some of the people we're working with and how they became saved. And one was a really good friend of mine. Her name is Teresa. And she had, well, 
when school first started, a kindergartner and a seventh grader. And the seventh grader was a straight A student, um, a girl, a very, very um, quiet, nice, beautiful girl. And the, sec and the kindergartner was a wild little boy who would never sit down, who he could never, he always interrupted in classes. And we would talk to the mom and she would um, try to figure out how to raise this kid. And she had her own religious views and asked that we not teach anything um, from an evangelical viewpoint. And so we said, no, the, the classes that we teach are straight from the Bible. They're, the kids will bring papers home. You can check it out in your own Bible and see exactly what we're teaching. We're not teaching a different doctrine. It's, um, it's Bible. And so she was worried that her kids would be learning a different doctrine and a different religion, and that was worrying her the whole time. And so we kept it at that, but we kept up a friendship the whole time because, um, well, my first boy is, when, when he was little, he was also one of those really active kids. He is actually till today. But um, I, my heart goes out to those kind of little kids because... I know how distracting they can be from a teacher's point of view. I know how that sometimes hurts the parents because I experienced it myself. And I know the kid is just having fun and enjoying life. And sometimes he's being told too much to just sit down and I don't know. So I, I really had a friendship with this little guy named Dennis. And through these years... Um, the mother and I would talk often, and I would offer prayer for little Dennis. And all the while, the older sister, Natalia, she's doing great in school. She's the perfect little girl. And we kept talking. And then she started sharing stuff about her marriage, and, and we kept on talking and talking and praying together. We got to the point where we started praying together. And one day she came and said, no, it's not going to work. I'm tired of this. I'm through with my husband. Things, I, I'm, I'm leaving. And I said, well, what's the problem? And she said, well, she went on and on to tell me about her husband's problem, and she's not going to cook for him. She's not going to wash his clothes anymore. Um, she's not going to do anything. And I said, I know she's, she loves Jesus. And so I said, well, why don't you start treating Miguel like Jesus. When it, just think, you know, it's not for Miguel, it's for Jesus. You're going to cook for Jesus that day. And you're going to wash clothes for Jesus, not for Miguel. And she's just going, hmm, this is not going to work. But anyway, she went home. And about a week later, she came and she said, Karen, it worked. And I said, what? And she said, um, our house, things are going well at home. And I said, well, what happened? And she said, I did what you said. I started thinking that I was doing all these things for Jesus, not for Miguel. And it worked. And, and we have a good relationship again. And so we were just praising the Lord for that. And around that time, she was also coming to the prayer meetings because she knew that prayer was working in her life. So she kept coming, and she would come with her older daughter. The, well, now the oldest daughter is in 10th grade. But then it was like 
ninth grade, um, eighth grade. So she kept coming and kept coming, and the Holy Spirit was really convicting her. And she had started a group of women. Um, she was Catholic. And she had started a group for women, for Catholic women, in the neighborhood. And it was a prayer group, and she was the one... Um, organizing everything and she started leaving that group and her friends started to get upset with her and angry because she was changing religions and she just kept going back at them with the bible and saying look this is the right way look this is what and and it was the holy spirit teaching her it was she was opening the bible she was reading it and the lord was giving her understanding and so she went back to her friends from that group, and none of them liked the idea yet, but she did eventually end up being um, saved and baptized, and last year her daughter was baptized, the first student of the school who was baptized. And the, the father, her husband, came once in, in a church activity, he doesn't mind that she comes and that she brings the kids, but um, he's not willing to come yet. So that was that. That's what we are there for. The the parents are are coming to us, or they're we're sharing about the family, about the kids. We're loving their kids. We're helping to um, build them up and bring them up in the Lord. And the parents see that, and they came or come to us for advice, for help, for counseling, and then the Holy Spirit is the one transforming lives. And that was just one of our um, really exciting moments last year when Natalia was baptized as one of our first students. Bob? I have a question. Yeah, I wonder how do you, uh, how, how do you get, how do you just go to the neighborhood and see a kid that needs help and you invite or how do you get these kids interested? Um, no, they, they come. We, we haven't done any advertisement the last four years because the school is so small. And it's the neighborhood coming in and family telling family that this is a good school, there's discipline, there's love, they're going to help you. And there, there is a, the Adopt-A-Student program, and anybody can go to the office and fill out a form and then... We had Ben and Jason working along with um, Pastor Dardio to visit each family, and they made a decision if that family needed um, the extra scholarship or not. And all the members of church that um, have their kids at school, they, they do have, I think they pay for at least one kid, but they have scholarships for their kids also. So it is, it's a neighborhood school. The kids are coming from in front of school, across school, behind school, and it's the, the ministry is for this neighborhood. Does that answer your question? Yeah. They must see a difference to uh, compare to what maybe public school is? Or? Yeah, the public schools are not good. They're overcrowded, and um, the government doesn't put out a lot of money for their schools. Um, I had a friend who was staying with us. Uh, it was actually Vivi's sister. You might have seen a picture of teacher Amelia there. She was living with us through her um, high school years. 
and she went to a public school one year, and we had to buy her desk and everything because the government wasn't willing to give her a desk. And so um, our school is like $30 a month for the tuition, and there's 274 students, and you saw that 70 are sponsored through scholarships. So we have like 200 people paying the $30 a month anyway, which is good. We're never making enough money to be self-supported yet um, because of this construction also. But um, it's just like we're just surviving. Is that how we could say it? What would be a typical wage like in the week? What would a normal worker earn? Um, let me think. The teachers earn $300 a month there. Well, but like other people oh, a typical like would wage. send their kids to school and they're in the factory worker. I don't know what the most common employment is, but what would the Well, minimum wage would be like 250 a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many students could you take on if, if uh, you had a limited sponsorship? Oh, we could take on a lot. And with what we started out with, the rooms were small. They weren't the government standard sizes. So now the new rooms we're making, the new project, they're all the government, um, the standard sizes. But the rooms that we have now are small, and so we have the opportunity to have school in the morning and in the afternoon. It goes for like um, four and a half hour sessions. So in the morning, there will be one group coming in, like first graders in the morning, first graders in the afternoon. So then we can get like up to um, 50 first graders. And if there were scholarships for a lot more, then yeah, we could fill the rooms with more. There's, there's people still on a waiting list now, but it's like halfway through the year. And so we, it's like a first come, first serve, or... Um, there's two deadlines that they can turn in those um, application forms. And we need to know, like from North American churches or individuals, we need to know like around January if you're going to sponsor because school starts in February, from February to November. So then we can get that first set of applicants. Um, we can see who gets the, the sponsorship, the scholarship. Or we also have a set, after the first semester, we check out the grades of the kids and everything, and then we can offer other scholarships if there are any available. How long is your waiting list? How long is the waiting list? I think there were like 100. Mm-hmm. And you would have room easily do that? With the addition. And we have plans like to keep building. It's a three-story building. So next year, if we get funds, we'll start the second story. And then that will be like all junior high and high school, completely separate from the elementary building. 
Yeah, the first, the two rooms on the bottom are finished. And there was a team just oh, two weeks ago, or now still there. They're, um, they're doing the tile floors. And so that's like, it's, the classrooms are completely done. The cafeteria and the eating area is not done yet. Um, we had some problems there because the ground was too soft. And so we have to somehow, I don't know if your constructors are here, but you have to, this is the way Oscar told me. It ha cement has to be injected in or something to keep to get the foundation right. Because as they were they digging, they hit water. Okay, they were hitting water, and the the ground was just tumbling in again. And so we just closed it all up for right now because. I think he said it would be like three thousand or four thousand dollars to do that work, and so that is not—that's unfinished right now. So, is there enough funds to finish that, or no? There's no funds right now. No, we're we're depending on God and prayer. Wait, what, what did it's you say? It's it's hard to find some subjects. Like um, all the teachers have to be born again Christians, um, not necessarily from our denomination, but um, we have we have interviews with them. The pastor will have interviews with them. The pastor calls their pastor, or we do find out about those teachers. And there's problems like with music. Um, physical education, those are hard ones, or psychology. Sometimes we can't find Christian teachers in those areas. And um, English teachers, like we can have um, young people from here going down to be English teachers because the government requires a certificate for teaching English at, um, from 10th grade 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. So up until 10th grade, the government isn't even checking up on us if we're teaching English or not. That's just an extra gift to the kids. So it doesn't really matter. If you know English, you can go down and teach the kids through, through the book, let's say. So on that note, anyone is welcome to go down and teach English if you know English. Rob. What kind of preparation would you recommend for anyone that is considering going to teach English? Um, it would be good kind of to know Spanish a little bit, just to kind of communicate somewhat with the kids. But we can work with that and send them to an all-Spanish family or something to begin with to help them learn Spanish quickly. <laughs> It worked with me that way. So I, my Aunt Kath and Uncle George Nemec were living in Argentina, and Omar Gava said, you can't stay with them. And he put me with a, a girl, a single girl, who only spoke Spanish. So I had to learn. So I know it works. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah, I was wondering about how do you uh, manage 
manage to keep them in uniform. Do you buy the uniforms or they're all dressed the same? Teachers also. Yeah, every school practically in Paraguay dresses in a uniform. Um, I guess it's because then all the kids look the same. They're not looking to see who has on a, a I don't know, Nike shirt or shoes or whatever. Everyone's the same. The, the poor, the middle class, the rich, whatever. They all have the same um, shirt, the same pants. And it, the Paraguayan culture just likes that, to be uniform everywhere. All the teachers will be like that. In, in other places, what? Yeah, they, they have to buy it. Um, they buy it. Yeah, but they, they use the same shirt, the shirts that we're selling down there in the cafeteria. They use that every single day of the year. So by the end of the year, it, it looks very used, very worn. But they don't have to buy another one. I mean, they don't need, like, clothes for every single day of the week. They need just that uniform. And so it, it makes it so that all kids are the same. All kids are equal. Mm-hmm. Yes? Um, on your video, I saw the part where it said that your church doubled in size mm-hmm. and about opening the doors and all that. Um, is there any ideas or any like tips or anything you can give us to maybe like reach out to the neighborhoods and just the surrounding areas like here at our churches? Hmm. I, I don't know. Could you start a school? <laughs> That would be good. There's some teachers here. <laughs> um, I don't know. Work together. And as a group, if we come up with an idea, if the Lord gives us that idea, we should just work on it and work to reach out to that neighborhood and somehow get the doors open. Um, Saturdays we have a neighborhood Bible school. And so then it's open all afternoon on Saturday. From We start at 4, and then it finishes at 5, but then we have a snack for the kids, and then the kids play a little bit of soccer, and then they go home. And then, then we start youth meetings right after that on Saturday afternoons. And so youth meetings um, start at 7, and then maybe finish 8.30. And then there is this um, soccer court, so... That's what attracts most um, South Americans, soccer. <laughs> so we, they play soccer a little bit. Then a lot of the kids, the neighbors, the neighborhood kids, do not leave church until we say, come on, Fernando, it's time. We're leaving now. I mean, he's been there since 8 in the morning, and it's like 9.30 at night, and we're, we have to tell them to go home. And... Well, Friday nights, there's, it's just plain youth. Um, from 6 to 8, the girls play. From 8 to um, 10, the guys play. Well, there is a 20-minute devotions there. It's, it's basic. It's light. It's not like heavy church. It's not a church message. It's just like, um, this is the way we should be. This is the Bible verse that supports it and and the youth are coming like we can get up to 100 150 there because this leader also is very very loving and very um, active with the youth and 
So just doing little things like that, that is opening up our church. Kathy? With the age people, would you have a neighborhood Bible study on Saturday? Little kids. Um, like kindergarten through 12, um, 12 years old, 5 to 12. There's also a women's meeting on Saturday. I forgot to say that. But we, we have the different departments and different people involved, um, in charge of those departments, and they, they're doing their area. They're concentrating on their area and, and working to get in new people or to work with the people. And prayer also helps out so much. Everyone, all of us, want somebody to pray for us and to understand. Um, personally, I was going through a problem, and I met somebody here that had the same problem. And it, it was good to just sit down and talk and pray about it. And everybody wants that. We all want that. And so it's good to just you know, bring in our friends, the, the unsaved, the neighbors, and say, can we pray about it? And that, that just starts up a friendship. And then you can, and then the Lord works through that to get to their hearts. Could um, you um, describe some of the cultural differences between here and there? Well, I don't know. I'll have to ask some of you guys who were there. I've been there for 17 years, so... Some things seem normal to me now. I don't, <laughs> I don't really see, like sometimes they say, whoa, look at that, and I'm going, oh, is that weird? No. Um, do you guys know of any? Yeah, um, I'll mention a couple, and then I'll pass it to some other people. The first one I noticed is that um, even though they don't have much, they're still willing to give it away, and that seems to be a cultural thing, not just within the church. Um, a couple of the kids had, uh, one boy had a bracelet that he had made earlier, and the day that I left, he gave it to me. Um, Kathy Malenk told one of the teachers that she had a nice ring, and she couldn't, Kathy didn't even finish her sentence before the ring was coming off for a bracelet or something to give it to Kathy. Um, so, and I'll admit that I, I bought a pair of sunglasses before I went out, and I decided to leave them at home in case someone said they liked them. <laughs> So I really like the fact you don't have to get bullied. <laughs> um, the other thing that I noticed that I tried to incorporate when I got back was everybody's door is always open. You don't, you don't um, get invited to somebody's house, you just go there. Mm-hmm. And That's true. We, I remember going one time to some boys' place that it was around the corner from the church, and you stand at the gate, because everyone has a gate too, and you clap. That's the doorbell, or the doorbell. Although, how do you tell if it's your door or your neighbor's door? Good luck. <laughs> and so then they just say, come on in, and everyone um, sits around in a circle and drinks Saturday in the summer of Mate. Well, I guess if it's cold, they drink Mate, which is hot tea. Saturday is cold tea. I have some in my room. So, I should have brought it. <laughs> Pass it around. Yeah, I should have. Um, those are the two that stuck with me. Well, I don't know, one thing that came to mind when Michelle was asking about, like, how we reach out um, with our churches here, and I think part of the reason um, is that there is that cultural difference, you know, um, everyone in the neighborhood there knows each other, and here we're very separated, like, at least in our church, like, we don't really know many of the people that live in the neighborhood. 
that's one reason why it's, it seems like it's more difficult to do like an outreach type thing here. I lived in South America 11 years. Mm -hmm. But it's a culture that is um, um, very people-minded or relationships. That's what we want to. We want to have relationships with people. We want to talk with people and spend time with people. And and like the others were saying, any time of the day, I can stop in at anyone's house, and they'll pull up a chair and they'll stop working, and we can talk. We can pray. We can. Um, spend time together and that's, that's what I really really like about Paraguay just sitting or spending time with the people if you think that you're going to wash your clothes for the family and somebody comes over you better you're, forget about it you're supposed to leave that and be with the people sometimes that's where my culture gets kind of um, involved and I want to get a job done and somebody's there and I I really have to put that job away and sit down with that person because they will be offended if I don't spend time with them. Okay, any other questions?
There's a book that explained it. I was telling Amanda. It's called Foreign to Familiar, and it talks about the cold climate cultures and the warm climate cultures, meaning like the difference between United States or Europe and Japan to um, South America, Africa, and some of those um, warmer cultures. And there's big differences like that. The, the people in in the States or in Europe, they're always busy, they're always running, you have to call a week ahead to get an appointment or to visit someone. And in the other countries, it's more like, um, just pop in, just come over. What? Oh, paciencia, yes. Okay, well, we can talk more later if you have any more questions. And thank you so much for coming. And um, keep praying for the, the Lord's work in Paraguay. And you're all invited to come. We have some prayer cards and some um, brochures. And, well, before we finish, I wanted to ask um, Fred if he could say a prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for opening up our eyes again to the work that's happening in Paraguay. We know that our world is filled with needs and it just helps so much to be exposed to the different cultures and the different needs and we want to lift up the mission in Paraguay right now. We had agreed together in prayer and, and ask that you would raise up finances, raise up workers, continue to uh, provide for their needs, Lord. You know the, the needs that uh, often are great and they depend so much on, on our prayers and on our support. We ask, Father, that you touch our hearts. You've given us so much in this country. Help us to share from the, the tremendous blessings and abundance that we have. We pray, Father, that you continue to strengthen the workers, uh, Oscar and Karen and uh, their family and those that labor in the church and in the school. We pray that your Holy Spirit would empower them and strengthen them and give them courage and wisdom to continue to serve you with all their heart. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we've had this afternoon to be exposed to this again. We pray all this in the